Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was. My name is John McGurk. I'm the editor of Grit Media. I am joined by, as ever, my friend and colleague, Sarah Ryan. Sarah, I haven't had a great day. How was yours? Oh, John. You're, you're grand. Um, mine was fine. I'm not, I would, I would say I'm not enjoying this week for a variety of reasons, which we will get into over the course of this podcast. But I think overall, it's been a pretty depressing week all around. Would you? It has. Um, but I want to, because and, and we will talk about all of the events of the week in this podcast, but I think listeners tuning in might expect us to address the large uh, white creature with a trunk sitting in the corner of the room, um, which is that I made today for the first time, I think, in the four years that I've been editor of Gript and the the first time in the 23,500 stories we've published over that period, one of them made the RTE 61 News. And all we had to do to achieve that was to get something wrong. Um, I think it is important to say uh, that on, you know, just for the very few people in the country who don't know, um, on Wednesday evening of this week, uh, Grip Media published a story uh, which outlined the immigration history um, and how somebody uh, came into uh, possession of Irish citizenship of a person who we believed on the basis of... um, what I consider to be very good and strong sourcing, to have been the main person of interest in last Thursday's horrible attack in Dublin City. Um, and then this morning at 9.16am, we got an email from the Garda Press Office. Uh, and then at 10am, I got a phone call from a Garda Press Officer uh, informing me that uh, the Garda were formally denying that that person, who we had not named, identified, provided a photograph or anything like that, um, that that person was not, in fact, the person who is a person of interest in the in the ongoing investigation into that horrible tragedy. So obviously, when you get something uh, like that wrong, um, that is a, a major, major error. Um, and you, we're obviously investigating all the factors that led to us getting that wrong. I've had some conversations with my sources today um, in relation to, I'm referring to them as sources just because I don't want to identify anybody, obviously. Um, but there was more. There was more than one. There was more than one, and they, they're they're not they're not people of of insignificance. Let's put it that way. So that's what happened. Uh, it's been a sucky, sucky day uh, for me because I obviously am the editor. I feel terribly responsible for what happened. I feel terribly responsible for the flack that my colleagues are taking as a result. Um, I I, I really uh, feel awful that uh, somebody, and I want to make this clear. We didn't identify anybody. I would never have identified somebody by name. I would never have published a photograph uh, until somebody's been charged with a crime. But other people, um, subsequently to our reporting, uh, identified this person. And, uh, you know, if, if as, as the Guardi say, that person has no case to answer, then, then that's obviously awful for them as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a sucky day all around, sir. I mean, yeah. Like, I saw a lot of the, the chatter online about people thinking it was a setup and stuff but well that um, is because that is because just to be clear this morning i i what i what i said uh, uh or grip said uh, although i signed off on it uh, was that obviously if, if 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 it transpired that our sources had lied to us um then there would be consequences for that and, and that i would consider their anonymity and their right to being protected to be forfeit and a lot of journalists reacted quite strongly to that um but it is a fact, like if, if somebody deliberately misleads a media outlet into running a, a, a false story, and I'm not saying that's what happened here, but if it were the case, 
then yes, their their right to anonymity would be forfeited. I don't think, and I'm not going to name any of the journalists, one in particular I'm thinking of who, you know, clutched their pearls in response to that. I really don't think they would keep a source quiet themselves if the, if it was reversed. Do you know what I mean? If they thought that the person deliberately, deliberately missed them in order to print something that was incorrect. Well, I would hope they wouldn't, but, because because there should be consequences for that kind of behaviour in the media if it were to if it were to be uncovered. There should be consequences. I mean, you can't you can't you know you can't because like if if somebody deliberately uh, lied to me, and again, not saying that happened, but if since we're talking about the hypothetical that were to happen, then they're 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 not only risking uh, my career, they're also risking Ben Scallons and Fatima Gunnings and Gary Kavanaugh's and everyone else on our team is impacted by that. Uh, so, so yeah, there should be consequences for that if that if that was the kind of thing that happened. So I don't regret saying that, um, and I don't think it should be a case. I mean, I think the protection of sources is sacrosanct. With that caveat, if somebody deliberately misleads you into doing something, uh, then I think they've forfeited that right in general. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's an important caveat. Um, so really, it's just like it's it's just a crap day all around. But ultimately, you know, we've seen across the board in the media in Ireland in the last year or, or maybe over a year, you know, the Irish Times ran a story entirely written by AI with a fake photo and the whole thing and ran that predominantly. Um, there's been multiple other things. There was the, were the Longford, the teachers, where the, most journalists and politicians commented on a story that turned out to not be true about uh, male teachers asking the girls not to wear short skirts or whatever the details were of that. There was also, um, there was also, bit. there was also, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to get into a, other people do it. I, I don't want, I, my standards, our standards should not be were as bad as everyone else. But like, there was also the case of the meteorite hitting the beach in, in, in Clontarf. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, I forgot about uh, that. Um, there, there have been, there have been, been various. No, and it's, but that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that like, you know, everybody in, in, in like people in media and people who are editors and people who write things, they, like they have crap days. They like th- things happen and it's really crap. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, it's unfortunate that other journalists seem to be getting a lot of glee out of it. But look, we move on. Look, there's a couple of things here. First of all, I think it's really important not to not to downplay it. It was, uh, it, however, a story that was, I mean, I want to say this, but the story was not conceived as being about the crime that took place last Thursday. It was actually a story about the immigration system and how somebody uh, could come to be an Irish citizen having had their deportation order um, you know, confirmed three times and be, uh, you know, have taken multiple cases against it, been rejected every time, and yet somehow still end up an Irish citizen. And, and that, um, that in itself is, is a story. Yeah, I see. That, yeah. That, that in itself, I think, is a legitimate matter of public interest. Um, now, obviously, the whole story has had to go because of the major issue with it, uh, which is, is quite clear. <laughs> pretty, pretty major, yeah. Um, but... That said, it wasn't conceived as being a story about the crime per se, but a story about the immigration process. I also want to say, I've, I've, I, like, people have ignored this today, but that story made absolutely clear in terms of identifying people. We don't identify suspects, we don't publish their photograph, and we also made absolutely clear that the suspect in this case is in a in a hospital in Dublin where he is being guarded by guardy. So the idea that some people have been postulating today that there's some guy walking around Dublin who could conceivably have been identified by somebody reading a grip media report who would assume that he had attacked children last week, doesn't hold water for me. 
because I mean, it, you know, everyone knows the world and his mother knows that the, the the actual suspect is in hospital. So if you're walking around the streets, you're not a, a suspect in this case. Um, but that said, that doesn't excuse the mistake. I've apologised for it in public uh, to our readers, but uh, to to the people who listen to this podcast and who do uh, contribute and support Crypt because of our journalism. I want to apologise to all of you because uh, you have a right to expect higher standards, and in this case, we let you down. And I'm sorry about that. Anyway, I was on telly the other night. Yeah, it's been it's been a week, John. It's been a week. Um, you were on TV the other night, and you were very good. But I obviously would say that, wouldn't I? But I came away. So you were on with Hazel Chu. Who else? Uh, Senator Marie Sherlock and uh, um, Pina Fáil Deputy James Lawless. So, first of all, I was I was kind of struck by the fact that it's three against, uh, including if you include the presenter, it's it's everyone against you, mm. right? Um, which you know is 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 part of the course in Ireland these days, to be honest. But it's just kind of irritating. Second of all, I just thought. Well, you like you held your own very well, but Hazel Chu. Listen, let me just preface this: like I'm not a fan of Hazel Chu at all. Um, I think, but I think that Hazel Chu. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but basically saying on national television that it's in the that you know the, it's up to the media to decide what's in the public, what information is in the public interest to hear. Is that would that be a fair? That was a sense. I, I just want to say that I, I too, am not a fan of Hazel Chu. I'm not a fan of her politics. I'm not a fan of her view of the world. But I, I just want to say that in the green room before the show, she was perfectly charming and uh, a, a nice person. And there are there are, there are people behind the. Sorry, I'm not saying you're suggesting anything to the contrary either. But I just want to say, yeah. like you know. Oh no! I mean, to be, to, to be fair, over, over the years that I've been involved in politics. Like I, when I say I'm not a fan of Hazel Chu, I, I, I mean her politics. Over the years that I've met people in different walks of, of political ideal, ideology, it's very, I could, I could literally count on one hand the amount, the, the people that I have found to be objectionable in terms of being rude or unpleasant or, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's most people in politics. It's like this thing that you see online, like, oh, Leo Varadkar hates Ireland. You know, this nonsense. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. It's very hard to get. It's very hard to get elected if you're a rude person or if you're an unpleasant person. That's a, yeah, well, that's true. Though. But nobody hates Ireland. Like you know, everybody has different views of how the country should be run. But like, let's not, you know, whatever. So anyway, Hazel, Hazel's I'm, views are that the media should promote unity. That's what she said. That, uh, yeah, that's, and, uh, in the context of our previous story, which is entirely, by the way, because some people are conflating this today. The suspect in this case is an Algerian national who became a naturalized Irish citizen. That is not a dispute. Um, we reported that fact. Hazel said we shouldn't have reported it um, because she thought it undermined the cause of national unity. It was an interesting perspective. Uh, do, you, do you think but she was right? Hazel, no. And Hazel also, Hazel and others on the panel also believe that the riots that happened last week are, are as a result of an far right and the fact that Gript published the fact that the person was Algerian and listen there's a hundred different topics here and there's a hundred different conversations I was literally talking about this to a guard today 
95% of the people who are smashing open Foot Locker were not radicalized by the far right. They're just have a go people who are smashing up the place because they see an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a hill I will die on. And it is what it is. And uh, Hazel and the entire panel, the entire focus was on how gripped just whipped everybody up into a frenzy and the riots are all your all your fault. And you have a little little kind of a little maybe a little flute or a little bat signal that you shine up into the sky from the gripped headquarters and rally all of your troops to do things to your, you know, that you ask them to do. Nonsense. I thought that the standard of opinions and the actual like getting into the nitty gritty of what's happening to Ireland and why different things are happening and why different groups of people are frustrated and why they're behaving a certain way. As a debate about that, it was so unbelievably substandard. It was maddening. And, you know, I thought you did well to hold off the arguments, John, but like ultimately I came away from it kind of just a bit disappointed that we deserve better than three people agreeing with each other, rounding on another person and blaming them for an, for everything and never actually getting into the the, the real, you know, meat of, of why things are happening in Ireland. These are the people who would have been on TV, you know, six months ago, as I said before, saying, or whatever it was, saying that it was, you know, terrible to suggest that there was a problem in the inner city with people, you know, with mm-hmm. violence. And now it's all, that's all gone because there's a new agenda in town. And I just think that over the week, Every radio show I tuned into, every TV, far right, far right, far right, far right, far right. But it's just so unbelievably lazy and, you know, real like real thinking, like not done, real exploring. Like I, 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 I again, I, I'm, I'm stunned to be saying this, but Lynn Ruan, who's not a person who I agree with politically at all or whatever, was the first person I heard today talking about how you know, like that people in the inner city shouldn't be called scumbags, et cetera, et cetera. And that there's, you know, maybe conversations need to be had, difficult conversations need to be had with people about, you know, immigration and and the issues that are affecting them in their day-to-day lives. Like, yeah, you know, but it's Uh, instead, it's just, it's just a little circle of wokesters all patting each other on the back to see who can outdo themselves on the Tonight Show, like on how, unbelievably progressive and not racist and amazingly you know profoundly morally superior they all are without ever actually having any real conversations about like i haven't spoken to a person in real life in the last week who doesn't have a more nuanced view of what's going on in ireland in the last week than hazel chu did on that tv show yeah, it's interesting because um, just on, in terms of, of being on TV, right? So it's 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 a kind of a frustrating experience and yet kind of a predictable one because I I, I knew going up because I I drove up that night and I drove home again. Um, one of the things that's interesting is is I I knew what they were all going to say because you you live in a country where where theirs is the dominant ideology and the dominant narrative and you literally can't turn on the radio without hearing it. So you, so you know exactly what points they're going to make uh, and. Yeah. The one advantage you have in that four-on-one, uh, three-and-a-half-on-one, if you count Kira Doherty, um, who, who, by the way, I, I like. She's a capable journalist with her views and uh, not not disputing her integrity or professionalism, but but I, I think her position on this is quite clear. Um, they had no idea what points I was going to make in response. And there just seems to be this kind of sense that, oh, well, we just say that what you did was a disgrace and undermined unity. That's the end of the argument. Well, well hold on. No, because your argument doesn't make any sense. Uh, if, if, if 
the fact that this person's if this person's nationality was irrelevant, then surely the nationality of the individual who intervened to save lives was also irrelevant. But no, the media broadcast his uh, nationality. And by the way, I was the first person to report that. Um, his nationality uh, um, right across the, the the papers the next day, and as, I think six hundred thousand euro has been raised for him because he is rightly a hero regardless of his nationality the nationality yeah. of the other uh, of the of the person on the complete other side of the moral spectrum the person who committed this attack is also transparently relevant it was relevant enough for um a, a, you know a source to ring me up and say um this is his nationality and we think it might be relevant um i don't think i have a, a right as a person in the in the media to say well you know maybe the public can't handle this information I think I think they they have a right to it. Um, it's it, obviously that does come with caveats, uh, and I mean there are important caveats. So, for example, if the Garda Shiakana had said to me that day, uh, "We would rather you don't publish this information for security or operational reasons," I wouldn't have done so because I think it's important to be responsible and not impact on Garda operations. Um, there mm. there are other considerations. You know, if 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 uh, for example, um, oh, I I I I can't. Think of them now, but there are there are obviously in not necessarily in this case, but like when it comes to court reporting or naming people, there might be a consideration. A good example is around if somebody has died, for example, not putting out identifying information until you're sure that his family or her family is them. Yeah, that's another yeah. example. There are valid ethical considerations about when to release information, and then there is this new consideration which the press apparently seem to be trying to adopt, which is uh, well. What if it might cause the public to react in a particular way? Um, and what I said on the show and what I, I, I'd stand over is, if we are, at, like, all we hear in this country is about misinformation and disinformation and fake news and all the rest of it. And by the way, I, I know what's going to be an example of that now for the next five years. But um, if, if we're now saying that true information can't be published, well, we're going into a whole new realm altogether. Um, and that seems to be the position that that you have a duty to suppress true information if it's in the in the interests of public order, um, and that is, I think, a very dangerous precedent to set. Because what if, for example, uh, we had a story, and we don't, and this is purely hypothetical, but what what if we had a story that suggested that uh, a prominent politician was engaged in some incredibly scandalous behaviour? Let's let's say, um, you know corruption or drugs or child sex abuse, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a risk when you publish that of, of the public not reacting well to it. There's a risk of a protest or a flash mob or whatever you want to call it. Does that mean you suppress that information as well? If that's a consideration in your reporting information, then th that is the exact same logic that every um, oppressive regime in the world uses. I mean, the North Koreans and the Russians and the Chinese in their in their in their non democratic states, the reason they use for suppressing information is that it's injurious to public order. So if you knew that the party was behaving in a particular way, you might not support the party. Therefore, the information shouldn't be reported. And this is the exact same logic now being applied in Ireland. Um, and I, I find it I find it astounding that that is a position that serious people are apparently taking. Um, Except I don't find it astounding. I kind of find it depressingly predictable. I think that this is the direction of travel, and I think it's a dangerous one. And so, theoretically, a year from now, your 
you won't be able to give your opinion unless it's sanitized such that it fits in. It, it, it doesn't, it omits anything that anybody could possibly deem to be hateful, which is undefined. But the information you receive from media will also be sanitized by somebody you don't know to decide what is and isn't suitable for you to hear. Yeah, and I mean, and, and there, it's it's terrifying the number of journalists who are embracing that idea. Um, and it's it's one of the reasons they're so gleeful today. I think in in relation to our error. Um, by the way, I I I, I want to say I do think it's really important that you apologise for errors, but I, I want to note that it's it's it, in, in media it's a depressingly rare thing, which is why I think it's important because a lot of errors just don't get apologised for. Um, uh, there there are many. No, I mentioned mean, them somewhere some, some earlier on, but. I, I think this. There are too many journalists who are buying into this idea that they have some role, like that they're important enough to be critical to public order. I'm sorry, but if you think that Grit Media and Van Merck, uh, are powerful enough to stomp our feet like Pompey Magnus, so that legions of rioters will spring up all over over Dublin, that is in its own way flattering, but it's utter nonsense. I mean, 75% of people in this country believe that immigration is too high. I would love if they were all grip readers, but they're not. People are coming to that conclusion by themselves. Like that's what I was saying earlier on. Do you have a little pipe that you play, and then they all just come, like it's it's absurd, but it's but it's great as well because it's a great deflection from having conversations that are difficult. It's easy to pile on and and round on somebody else and create a common enemy. It's way easier to do that than to have difficult conversations with you know. And as I said before, you know, politics is about having conversations that are difficult. It's about having conversations with people you don't like. It's about finding commonality with people you don't like. It's about bringing people along. All those things. That's I thought, what you're I, supposed to I, I thought on that show, actually, because conversation's interesting words here. I thought on that show, uh, obviously there were parts of it uh, that went viral. But I thought the, mm-hmm. the piece to me that almost nobody paid attention to, which was the most revealing, was when James Lawless, and I'm paraphrasing uh, James here, but he basically said that he found certain sections of the population very difficult to talk to that uh, they wouldn't accept um, the assurances government were giving in relation to various migration proposals or migrant centres around the country, and that it was very difficult to get the message across to people, and they weren't they weren't taking it in. And I thought it kind of summed up the mindset. And the mindset kind of is, we'll have a conversation, but only if you agree with us in the end. Like, th- there's, no, there's no acceptance in the political class that this conversation might end with the political class having to coming to an accommodation yeah. with the people. It is always yeah. the people. The people must be educated. The people must take on board what we are saying. And then the people must show that they are mature and responsible citizens by agreeing with us. Like that, that is the, the attitude and the mindset. Yeah, yeah. And that's the essence of, and, and that's why this week, you know, I was thinking about this a lot yesterday or the day before I was driving and I was thinking a lot about like, that's you just touched on something there, which is that you have a government and, and a media who really believe that they're the enlightened ones and that the people who don't agree with them are not. Oh, that, that and underpins the, it. And the, but the problem with that and, and you know, again, like not to, well, to go back to, you know, the really cynical reintroduction of the hate speech bill or whatever is if you take the two leaders, for example, of. Um, government, which is Leo, and you just take this, and 
there's lots of people who listen to this podcast who are in agreement on the abortion issue. There's people who aren't. But it's, it's, it's actually not important what side you fall down on this, right? The point I'm going to make is that in not that long ago, both Leo and Michal Martin were publicly pro-life. Mm. Then, over time, they went on a journey, right? And lots of people in politics went on this journey, right? And I, I can, like, I can, you know, I come from a family, I, like, I, can't, like, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but like, my parents are very pro-choice. That's their opinion i'm i'm not i'm pro-life i voted no they voted yes that's fine we 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 don't agree i consider my parents to be what i would call you know li- not today but like old-fashioned liberals in that they're they have like that natural curiosity about why other people think a certain way your, your, father, your, father, your father was a progressive politician in ireland before it was fashionable to be a progressive politician in ireland exactly, to, his, exactly. to his credit and and, and I, I i'm not sucking up to your dad but like, because no, uh, I, I wouldn't have agreed with him on a lot. But he he took stances, particularly in the political party that he was in, that were liberal and out of step with, I think, the majority of the population. Um, and I obviously disagreed with him on many of those. But he he he, he did it from a sincere conviction. And, um, and, and that's and, yeah, and that's absolutely fine. And 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 it's like if you're a real liberal and you have children you know, you 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 have to accept that you roll the dice and some of your children will have different views to you and you you you're commit if you're a true liberal, that's what happens and that's great and that's fine. And and my dad and I agree on more than we disagree on, but we we you know we have it out and we we talk and we we have different opinions and that's fine. That's what a liberal in my opinion used to be. When you refer to liberals these days, I don't see that at all. I think and my dad has a lot of friends as well, his age group that I'm very good, you know, I've grown up with and I'm very close with and I consider them to be very similar. Very cur- like naturally curious about what other people think and and interested in the views of others. You don't have to agree, that's fine, you're still friends at the end of it, you have it out whatever. But what I think has happened, and 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 so if you go back to the the referendum, Mihal and Leo, I'll use as two examples. They were pro life. Then they went on this journey, and the journey's fine. And like I've changed my opinion on loads of things over the years. Not 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 something like that, but fine. But I have changed my opinions on things, and I look back on what I thought when I was twenty five or thirty, and now I'm forty, and I have different views on things. Fine. The issue I have with these so called journeys is. My observation is the is the not the journey, but the contempt that started to be shown for the people who had the same view you had a week ago. Mm-hmm. That suddenly you're enlightened and they're not, and it's not it's not you've no interest in bringing them along because you're now enlightened and they're left behind, and you have this kind of sneering contempt for them as being some kind of backward thing for a view that you had yourself only a short while ago. And then that kind of goes along, and then I was thinking about like things like COVID, and it was like, we're not going to go over the COVID thing again, but there was this kind of contempt for people who ask questions. You were, the government, everyone was the enlightened one, the decision that we were enlightened, and anybody who didn't think that was the other way. And now we're seeing more, and I'm just like thinking, like noticing that there's just this attitude in government, you just touched on it there, which is we're the we're the morally superior enlightened ones and it's such a drag to have to teach you neanderthals how to think like us and like we'll try to do it but ultimately you're all anybody who's com- complaining about any decisions we're making is you know uh racist or this or you know pick the issue and there's always the wrong side to be on and it's a contempt 
for, for, for people who think differently. It's the contempt I have a problem with. No, I've got no problem with people having different views from me. That's fine. But I don't have contempt for people. And, and, and I'm not, and I'm also just a person who's talking to you on a podcast who's a political hack. I'm not the leader of a country. You're not the leader of the people who agree with you. You're the leader of the country. You're the leader of the people who are rioting in the city centre, whether you like it or not. So you either bring them along or you keep doing what you're doing. And the group of people that you're alienating and who don't like you and don't agree with you is growing by the day. Keep calling them names and keep keep having this contempt for them and like and see what happens in the next general election. We're, we, we'll see. We, we know what's going to happen in the next general election, because particularly in Fine Gael, the people are dropping off and not running left, right and centre. So they smell what's about to happen and they're leaving because they don't want to deal with it. I, I, I couldn't uh, agree with you more. Uh, As we were talking there, I was trying to think uh, because, I, uh, because like, I think one of the hardest things to define in this country is what far right is. But I think you could make a good stab at a definition of far right if you just said a person who believes everything that Leo Varadkar believed in 2010. That yeah. Would be, that would be a good definition because, like, I remember uh, Leo was off to my right. I, like, I, my views have not substantially changed over the last decade. I mean, they, they've maybe gotten more nuanced in certain areas, and they're obviously the issues have changed and so on. But I remember in 20, 2010, like, I, I was, uh, and I've always been something of a liberal on, on, on gay rights, for example. I was broadly in favor of gay marriage. Leo Radker was against it. Uh, I was pro life. He was pro life. Uh, I, I still am. He's not. Uh, he was talking about cracking down on, on on social welfare abuse. I still think that's a good idea. He's apparently ditched it. Um, I thought that immigration was uh, needed to be better controlled. Yeah, he did too. He's ditched that. I mean, you go down through the list of issues, and if you want a good definition of far right in this country, it's somebody who believed basically what the the Taoiseach of this country believed a decade ago, um, and expressed. And Exactly. And this is the problem. Like, this is why I was thinking about it is that this is the problem as well with the hate speech bill, which is that if you look at the journey these politicians have been on and how fast their views have progressed, how, like, and we want them to be able to make a decision or, 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 or the, we, we want people like that to be able to make a decision on what is defined as hate in the future five years from now. How could we possibly trust people who keep changing, who who have such ideological journeys all the time? To, to how could we possibly vote, allow them to 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 put a law in that tells us that will tell us what what somebody else is deciding what hateful means? Yeah, well, it just you know strikes, I mean? it, it just it, it, it just, it's just because, like mar- the, it's 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 the moral superiority and the contempt for people that like is scary to me, and and and. And it was on that it was on that show when you were on it the other night, and it's leaking out of it's politicians rolling their eyes when they're asked hard questions by grift. It's everywhere, it's everywhere, and it's 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 a contempt. It's the only word I can think of for it. It's a yeah. contempt, and it's the so we're enlightened, and you plebs are all just Neanderthals who aren't as educated and don't know how how the world how the world works like we do. And maybe sometimes we'll we'll try and talk to you. And maybe some, some at some point you'll see sense. But no political progress is ever made by somebody going into a room and thinking that they're the enlightened one and the other one just needs to be schooled better on how to think like them. Never has progress been ever made by people like that. That's the point about, as I was saying about liberals, my dad, his friend, other people, you know, true liberals. 
they got progress done because they were willing to concede points and accept that other people had different views didn't make them crap people. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, and I'm I, ranting. I, you're ranting, but like I haven't been interrupting you because it's been a good and a clarifying and important rant. I mean, that that is the problem. I, I wrote a piece for The Critic in the UK this week um, in which I said the, the big problem with Ireland is that we've got a political class that doesn't really like the people. Like it, it doesn't. And, and one of the things that strikes me, because um, I've been doing a fair bit of driving this week as well, so I've been listening to the radio more, than, more often than not, is the sheer number of ads from government agencies telling people what's wrong with them. You know, you're, you're eating too much. There was one on this week about like you know, young fellas and consent and like, you know, you're. you're oh, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it in the car today. That's so weird. You just said that because I was like, what was the ad I heard today that was so weird? Because. It's not really clear as you're listening to it going on what it's about. Yeah. So it's all these examples. And I was like, what's this now? Yeah, I heard yeah. it. Yeah. And the, the, like you're, you're, you're eating too much or you're flying too much. You're, you're using too many plastics. You're, you're too fat. Uh, you're not fat enough. You, you, the, it, it, it's endless. This government money that's spent telling us what's wrong with us all day, every day on every radio station. Um, and and it, it feeds into that sense that if they could just get rid of the public and, and get one in that was compliant and agreed with James Lawless when he told them that immigration into their local towns was good for them, they'd be much happier. Um, and and I, I I do think as well like there's the it's more than it's more than just a sort of general dislike of the people. There's a real intolerance of the people because, like I just think it's fascinating that Conor McGregor is allegedly, uh, per the reporting of Michael Tool in the Daily Star, and and I don't know if it actually actually I don't know if it's Michael's report, but it was the Daily Star, um, that he is Conor McGregor is now under criminal investigation for hate speech for using the phrase "Ireland is at war." Um, I just think that's fascinating. I mean, I, I don't agree with Conor McGregor that Ireland is at war. I don't see any tanks around the place, but that's hate speech. But then, it, you know, later on um, today, the or it was actually yesterday, the 29th of November, we had a Fianna Fáil councillor in Limerick referring, now he says he was referring to the attacker last week, but uh, certainly everyone who was listening to him in the council seems to believe he was talking about the rioters, that people should be shot or indeed beaten to death. And he is not facing uh, any kind of criminal uh, investigation, like one one of them, uh, two things statements. One of them is milder, but the other one is directed against uh, sort of like you know people who the government doesn't like. And so the milder one is subject to criminal investigation, and the one that is sort of um, more aggressive is, I think, Fianna Fáil have promised to have a word with them. Um, and I think that's very telling. Because if those two statements are put beside each other, one of them, I think, in my opinion, is objectively more likely to incite violence than the other. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, I think Conor McGregor is, we discussed it last week. I mean, last week we were kind of saying, um, you know, we were kind of talking about how we're not particular fans of Conor McGregor, but, you know, some of the stuff he was saying. And now I think he's gotten a bit kind of emboldened by power and he's kind of going a bit mad, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, but, but um, like, like now, now I'm going to challenge you on that because like, I, I think um, it's not that I'm pro Conor McGregor. I'm sure, I'm sure I know there are many, many things that, that he would But like, he's striking a chord with people. The, the, these, like, like if, if, if the tweets he was sending were getting like, Three likes and like one person and like 50 people were replying going Connor that's a disgraceful thing to say there'd be no chat about this the only reason people are concerned is because they're going mega viral and his replies are full of people going finally Connor somebody's saying fair play to you stand up man woohoo 
that's the only reason that people are that there's concern over these. He could be saying the exact same stuff and have the exact same number of followers and no one would care. The only reason they care is because it's resonating with a section of the population because he's the only one saying it. Um, and he's the only one saying it perhaps in the kind of language that, that like, you know, people outside of politics and media use, plain spoken language. That's what I think. No, and I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I'm fully aware that he's capturing the imagination of people who are, you know, back to my point have been treated a lot of them with contempt by the political establishment for a long time i just don't think conor mcgregor is the answer and i think that he you know initially i was like yeah he's capturing the imagination or whatever and then it's just getting a bit kind of i don't know yeah but so here's the thing Uh, look getting a bit uncomfortable to say the least if you were going to give me a list of people who i think should be the answer to Ireland's problems, Conor McGregor wouldn't make the top 50. And that is not, that is not having a go. Thousand, thousand, John. Um, but that said, like, somebody has to, it, one of the things about what we're talking about, which is sort of like the, the, the looking down on people and making people feel bad for, for saying various things or thinking various things, is that eventually you get down to people who have nothing to lose. Conor McGregor doesn't have anything to lose. Ireland didn't make him, so Ireland can't unmake him. Um, he's got nothing to lose. So he's somebody who can say the things that a lot of people maybe are thinking or feeling and have no consequences for it. But I, I know for a fact that he's not in his own. I know for a fact that he's not in his own. And, and, and when I say that, I'm not talking about like the people in his Twitter replies. I'm talking about relatively prominent people in Irish society who agree with him but don't feel like they can they can they can articulate those views even if they were likely to articulate them in a more polite friendly middle class way um and and mm. i think that as a result of that you're left with conor mcgregor um for better for worse for richer for brewer you're left with conor mcgregor and that's a situation that the political class have created um because when you when you when you say to everyone else uh well, these are terrible things to say and no respectable person would say them, then they start worrying about their jobs and their careers and their income streams. So it's left to somebody either who, in the case of maybe some of the rioters, didn't have an income stream to lose, or in the case of Conor McGregor, doesn't really have to worry about what the Irish Times can do to his bank balance. Um, and that's, yeah, well, that's, it's, not that he's got nothing, it's not that he's got nothing to lose, it's that he's uncancellable and the punishment for people who speak out in past is to be, is to be cancelled. And so he's uncancellable, so he can say what he likes. Yeah, um, and I, but but I, and I think if you if you if you don't want Conor McGregor tweeting Ireland is at war, then you've got to create space in the conversation for people who will uh, articulate the concerns of a large section of the population in a way that's more uh, acceptable to you. Um, but that's just politics one hundred and one, and they're they're absolutely refusing to do it. I mean, with the Irish political establishment, there's a it's an our way or the highway attitude. That like I was on um, TV. Sorry, Virgin Media wasn't my. I nearly said TV three. Uh, Virgin Media it was not my only media appearance this week. I was also down in Limerick on uh, appearing on a local Limerick radio station um, last night, just having a conversation with their listeners and with um, with various people who were texting into the show. And the anger, Sarah, is palpable out there. And it's about stuff that like you, you wouldn't think. It's about things like the treatment of self-employed people. It's about the kind of the the lack of services, the lack of rural policing, the 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 feeling that like they've been completely abandoned and like everything has gotten worse. Their schools have gotten worse, their hospitals have gotten worse, their 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 
communities have gotten less safe. They're not being listened to. And every time they speak up, they feel like people from Dublin are looking down on them for their accents and the way they speak. Like, and that, that feeling is there. Mm. And they, they don't know who to vote for or who to listen to. And, and basically nobody in the political system is speaking for them. And they're not a small group. And, and you know, I, I think I think the I think that what happened in Dublin is sort of a crystallization of the anger of a great many people. Um, and most of those people, of course, wouldn't smash windows and they wouldn't go rioting and, and they would abhor that kind of behavior, but they understand the anger. They understand it and they feel it and they kind of they share it and they object to being told that they're they're kind of wrong to think it. And th- there's a there's a simmering resentment uh, out there in the population that's not being addressed. And, you know, there's going to yeah. be more of this stuff if it's not addressed. What was your take on uh, Mary Lou sharing the photo of the man um, outside the school? Um, so just if somebody listening doesn't know about this, Mary Lou, the school closure where, where the um, horrific incident took place last week, um, when the kids went back to school, was it yesterday morning? There was a man sitting on the steps of the school, drink intoxicated. That be right, John? Um, yes. And Mary Lou tweeted a photo saying it was disgraceful that these kids were going back to school and that you know they were met with this going back to school. What was your take on that? I understand why she did it, and I understand why she got criticised. And I think there's, I think, I think you have to kind of look at it in, in the round. I think. She, First of all, I think we live in a very visual society. People don't see things they don't believe. In. Um, mm-hmm. So if you if you tell them that uh, you just tell somebody and you describe orally that there was a there was a person in a sort of bad way uh, sitting outside a school uh, as those kids went back to school, their imaginations run riot, and they, but they can't really picture it. But the picture, you know, tells a thousand words. Um, so I understand why she did it and I, I, I also understand why the thing that was pictured made a lot of people I presume, I haven't spoken to them so I don't know but I presume made a lot of parents in that school angry um, so I completely get that, on the other hand uh, I do understand the criticisms that this is a vulnerable person who might be identifiable who is obviously in a bad way and has nowhere else to go um, and you know so I, I mean, what, what do you do with that person? And you like he's been failed by Irish society, hugely failed by mm-hmm. Irish society. If he's in that position in the middle of the day, um, you know that the, the whole situation is just and and I think it encapsulates the sense that's present in the north inner city and a lot of other parts of the country that like all the social problems have been dumped upon them, uh, and and basically they've been told, well, that guy is your problem. Well, sorry, he's not. He's a government policy problem. So uh, on balance, I think she was right to do it. Uh, I think criticism of her was actually relatively muted. I mean, can you imagine if um, Matty McGrath had tweeted that? I think there would have been much more yeah. rounded condemnation of him. But she's she's on the left, so she can get away with it a little bit more, I think. Um, but like, it does encapsulate that area. One of the things we have heard from people in the Parnell Street area in the last, sorry, Parnell Square area in the last week is just how abandoned they feel. And I'm not talking about people who go there for work because obviously it's a busy part of the city centre, but there are residential areas around that. They're generally poor, they're generally deprived, uh, and they kind of feel like they've just been left to rot. And like yeah. that, that feeling is real. And I think Mary Lou will probably do very well uh, in those ballot boxes at the next election. Um, I, 
I think there's loads of problems. I mean, the, I was in town yesterday, drove in for something yesterday morning to O'Connell Street from Malloyd. It was an hour and 40 minutes to get in and an hour and 40 minutes to get back for 12 kilometres, I think, is Dublin city centre to Malahide. It was... Uh, for, 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 for listeners who don't know, I can get to Dublin in an hour and 40 minutes from Tipperary. Yeah, so I was furious about that. The whole of, you know, um, the bottom of the Malahide Road and all is all, it's been roadworks for, I mean, it's must be going on two years. You can't go this way, you can't go that way. This road is closed out. They've made just complete mess of the, of the city. Um, I parked in Q Park. I got there at about quarter past nine. I left at four. It was 33 euro to park there. You know what I mean? Uh, there was just the smell of urine and, you know, just in general, it was just a thoroughly unpleasant experience. I think that there's so many problems in 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 the north inner city at the moment and nobody seems to want to grab the nettle. So I don't know. There's multiple multiple elements to this, and you know, obviously, what happened last week is on its on a, on a on a scale of its own and a completely different thing. But I think that there's a lot of problems, and people are angry about a lot of things. And like I said, just being gaslit all the time is just not working. No, it's not. So, as you say, you said at the start of the show, it's been a fairly depressing week. Um, and from my point of view, obviously, some of that was self-inflicted, um, so it's been doubly depressing. Um, but I think it's important to to recognise that like there there are people in this country with real problems at the moment, and there's this, just this sense. And I get it everywhere. I mean, the last couple of weeks, I have had people coming up to me in the street. That has never happened to me in my life, Sarah. Ever, I have never had people coming up to me in the street before. Like, except maybe in an exceptional case, like if I was on television and the, the very next day somebody might recognize me and say, you were good on TV or you were bad on TV. I've never had people coming up to me on the street and say, are you John McGurk? And just start to tell me what they think about what's going on in the country. That's happened to me like, I think seven times over the last three weeks. Um, yeah. People, And it's been people of all ages. The youngest guy was in his 20s and the oldest was a lady in her 70s and they were all saying the same thing, which is like, we just like feel like the country is adrift and, you know, we're, and, and there's a feeling they're not being told things as well. Um, so it's, 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 it's a funny time uh, to, to live and it's, um, you know, I think what happened last week has shaken up a lot of people as well. Yeah, definitely there's a feeling of like I said it last week, just, you know, maybe in a part naive, but that kind of event I thought was not a thing that was going to happen in Dublin and now it has. So there's an, there's an innocence that's kind of gone now and it's just a bit scary. Do you think, um, uh, do you think, just to talk about general media coverage of it, do you think, because I, I, I'll tell you one thing that people have said to me repeatedly um, is that they kind of feel like the, the media coverage in general, and I think this is why uh, before today, before before um, Thursday of this week, um, Grift was having a pretty, a very strong week in terms of like new social media followers and new, new people signing up for, for our subscription service and everything. I think there's a sense in the country with this attack, and I'm not saying, I'm not, I, I want to say, I'm not saying anyone is doing anything wrong, but there's a sense that like the focus is in the wrong place or something. 
like that people are really interested in 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 what happened how it came to happen what the case what the what the the prognosis is for the the victims and instead they're just getting this diet about the riots from the media and i i'm really picking up a sense the far right and, yeah, and sen- if you see, see anything far right on twitter reported to the guardy i'm really picking up a sense that there's like you know there's like where the, the priorities of the press and the politicians are wrong here and the people are kind of feel like they're being told explicitly what to care about when they care about something entirely different, which is sort of like the, the you know, it's it's like, um, it's it, it, it's like that moment, but it's more extreme. Do you remember after the Ashling Murphy thing, where we had like a week and a half of um, all all Irish men need to be better, and mm-hmm. people were like, well, well, just tell us what happened, why it happened, and who did it. And the press were like, no, no, but first we need to tell you that all Irish men need to be better. It, it's a similar moment, but I would argue even more extreme in terms of the reaction it's uh, provoking in people. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I just feel like there's a bit of an echo chamber going on with the media. Um, I, I, that's my, my sense. But like you and I, I mean, Sarah and I, for, for listeners, I mean, we, we, we talk uh, very regularly, but like we're not in daily communication and we have very different lives. So like, are you picking up anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people who are really naturally, you know, worried and curious about the victims and what happened and, and there's very little reporting about that. I've definitely had people ask me about that. The number one question we've received at Grit this week has been about the condition of the one of the, the little girls. Um, and, you know, people have delved into, like, some people have actually gone down the road of you know, is she even alive? Um, the the answer to that is that she is, um, and that but, but all, all that's being said is that she's in a very serious condition, and there are great concerns about her safety. Um, but e- even at that, mm-hmm. it, it seems really, to me that, like all that's all that matters. I mean, that should be that, yeah. that's all that matters. You know yeah, what I mean? But it, it almost seems like I mean, I, I I read I read an Irish Times piece, uh, and I can't remember who it was by, but it was during the week, and like. There was a detail on little girl, but it was like in paragraph fifteen or something. When I when I think that should really be in paragraph one, um, and I, I don't know why that is. I, I don't know why 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 it's being shoved so far down the the news agenda. I mean, if if, if we're going to talk about this story, she is the num- she's the most important person in it, um, and and yet the public are not really being kept appraised of her condition, even if it's just there are no updates, still in a serious condition at all. And I think, like, I'm, I'm picking up the people are, are are kind of noticing that and getting concerned about it. And it's, yeah. it, 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 it's quite strange what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I, there's more to run in this, put it that way, I think there we'll is. see. But I mean, like I said, the most important thing is that she's okay and like I, I'm constantly thinking about a mother like me, you know, just making every bargain with God or whoever that she's okay. And it's just horrendous. And, and and that's kind of been forgotten a bit. At the end of the day, somebody's whole world fell apart when they got a call to say that their child had been violently attacked and, and the families of the other, the care and the other children, of course, but you know, there's, there's been a huge life changing event for somebody and, and you know, that should be the focus. Completely, 100%. Anyway, it's been a bit of a somber podcast this week, folks. Um, it's been, uh, for for reasons of the news, uh, for reasons of my own role in the news this week, uh, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, but it's sometimes we're going to have episodes like this. So from Sarah and myself, thank you so much for listening. 
A special thanks this week to everyone who subscribes to and supports Crypt, uh, because this week we needed it more than ever, uh, because we made a mistake. And sometimes that's going to happen, and when it does happen, it's important to own up to it, and I take full responsibility as editor for that mistake having happened, and I can only promise you that it will not happen again. However, that said, um, we move on, we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves down, and we will be back next week for another edition of The Week That Really Was. Thanks a million for listening.